turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It is not this superficial kind of plastic, we're just pretending like everything is fine, even though my world is falling apart, kind of a facade that some Christians think they need to put on their face, you know. No, this is, this is understanding that no matter what happens in my life, there is a, a God who loves me and who is seated on a throne and he is sovereign over all things and everything that I go through was no surprise to him and I can trust him to take care of me through thick and thin. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philippians. Do you often find yourself faking your smile or telling people you're doing fine when really it feels like you're crumbling into pieces? We've all been there at one time or another. You're not alone. Don't lose hope. As Pastor Gary reminds us in today's message, God is with you. He will not abandon you. You will go through some very tough circumstances in life. That's not because he doesn't love you. He will carry you through those times, and he knows you can grow stronger through those trials. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Notice it is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because our joy comes from Jesus, friends. It doesn't come from this world. You know, Jesus warned us in this world, you will have trouble. He adds, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus speaks about knowing his joy, that you might have my joy, and that the fullness of joy would be evident in your life. So joy comes from Jesus, all right? And it is not this superficial kind of plastic, we're just pretending like everything is fine, even though my world is falling apart, kind of a facade that some Christians think they need to put on their face, you know. No, this is, this is understanding that no matter what happens in my life, there is a, a God who loves me and who is seated on a throne and he is sovereign over all things and everything that I go through was no surprise to him and I can trust him to take care of me through thick and thin. And in that 
and knowing Christ as your Savior and having that assurance that God loves me, that he's on the throne, that he's sovereign, I can trust him, even when things are crazy. We have no, you know, no illusions. It's not like we're pretending like things aren't bad. Things can get really, really rotten in your life, but it is understanding that even so, there is a God who loves you and a Christ who died for you, and knowing him as your Lord and Savior transcends good times and bad times, and in him, I have joy. I have that calm delight in him. I know he's going to take care of me. I can trust him. He's going to take care of my family. No matter what I face, the Lord is good. He's good all the time. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to lean hard against him because everything else about this world cannot deliver what it often promises. And that is this this sense of you can have contentment and fulfillment in the world. You cannot have a contentment and a fulfillment in this world. You can only really have it in Christ and in knowing him as your Lord and Savior. Can I get a witness on that? Amen, right? So it, it's about knowing Jesus. So it's not, this, it's not this fake, it's not this plastic thing, it's not this facade, it's not this giddiness, it's not this silliness. It's, it's recognizing, hey, Christians can go through some really difficult, terrible times too. But my joy, my calm delight is in Jesus and I rest in him and I put my trust in him. And so that's where our joy is. That's where our calm delight is. And that's why he says, always, good times and bad. And he, and he commands it again. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, not to some. We're called to be gentle people. You know, harsh, abrasive, anybody, nobody wants to be around, especially harsh, abrasive Christians. That, I mean, that's like an oxymoron, right? How can you really be a Christ follower and be harsh and abrasive? I mean, what a, what a turnoff that is to people who are trying to get a glimpse of the love of Jesus. And there we come along as these harsh and abrasive Christians. That's why Paul says, no, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let it be evident to all. And then, and he says, because the Lord is near, like, you know, time is short. So then in verses 6 and 7, these, these verses together are some of the sweetest verses in all of the Bible about the importance of prayer. And I would encourage you, commit these verses to memory. I highlight them in your Bibles. There have been many, many times I've drawn on these verses as a reminder when, when life gets anxious or worrisome or difficult. Here's what he says in verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything. And notice these superlative words he uses like all, anything, always, everything. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, let let me stop there and just notice, if you highlight in your Bibles the words there in verse 6, prayer, petition, requests. Just circle those words or highlight them in your Bibles, prayer, petition, and requests. Now, these are three different words in the original Greek language, and you can read different Bible commentaries, and they will tell you, you know, here's what the word means, here's how it translates, and and so there's a lot of discussion about these three words, and here's what I have found to be the basic best single words to define these three. When he talks about prayer, it is a word in the Greek that is a very broad term, and and one of the best ways to see that word is in terms of wants, okay, which is a very broad word in our English, wants, okay, wants. We have a lot of wants. So prayer is 
asking the Lord in relation to our wants. Petition is a different word. It's a more narrow word. It's, it's a more, it's a stronger word. And so that word is often translated in relation to needs. So we have wants and then we have needs. Our needs are not always our wants. Our wants are not always our needs. Our needs are more intense. They're more significant. You can have a long list of wants, but when it comes right down to it, you may only have a few particular needs. And then the last word requests are desires. It's kind of the excess above wants and needs. He uses these three terms, but then he says in the middle of it, between prayer and petition, and then the word requests, he talks about thanksgiving, which is a very important aspect to our prayer life, because whatever the want, need, or desire, let it all be brought to the Lord with thanksgiving. And we sometimes forget that part. We're like, Lord, here are my wants. Lord, here are my needs. Lord, here are my desires. But he says, Approach the throne of grace with thanksgiving. We should always make our prayers, our petitions, some of your translations say supplications, same kind of a word, and our requests should always be coming to the throne of God with thanksgiving. We should always be people who are grateful and thankful and are always worshiping the Lord, not just making requests, but offering our praise and giving our thanksgiving in the midst of offering our prayer requests and petitions uh, unto the Lord at the same time. So, Listen, this is the greatest remedy to an anxious heart. Be anxious for nothing, he says here. But in all things, in everything, make your, your prayers, your petitions with thanksgiving and your requests known to God. There is so much in life that will bring about an anxious heart. You, you don't have to live very long before you can become very anxious about things. So the remedy to an anxious heart is a strong prayer life. The remedy to an anxious heart is a strong prayer life. When I find myself becoming more anxious or fearful about something, it always, it always corresponds to my lack of prayer. Because when I become fearful or anxious about something, then I stop and think, when, when was the last time I really had a good time of prayer with the Lord? And usually... The, the distance between when I really prayed and when, when I noticed my anxious heart is greatest when there's a greater distance. And so when I feel that anxious heart stirring, and I know it's, it's, it's my need for prayer because I need to get in the Lord's presence and I need to just lift this up to the Lord. I need to give this to him. And then here's the beauty of verse seven. Okay, so this is the corresponding part. So we we're to be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Verse 7, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Because what it's saying is, when we approach the throne of grace with thanksgiving, we make our prayers, our, our petitions, our requests known to the Lord, and we lift up all of our burdens and our anxious heart, and we give it all to Him, then He has this wonderful way of returning this peace to our hearts and to our minds. What does this part mean about, and it passes all understanding, it surpasses all understanding. What it means means is you will get the peace of God over your heart and over your mind and it won't even make sense that you should have that much peace. When you have an anxious heart and a worried heart and a fearful heart and then you go into your prayer closet and you pray until that anxiety, worry and fear are lifted and you come out of your prayer closet, people will look at you and they will say, why do you have so much peace? You shouldn't have that much peace because I know what's going on in your life. 
And I know this is happening and that happening. I can't believe you have so much peace and you won't be able to believe it either, except that the only explanation is it's that peace that comes from the Lord that transcends all understanding. It doesn't even make rational sense, but it is a testimony of the miracle of God to bring his peace into your heart over your anxious life. So pray, pray. Get into your prayer closets or find a, a quiet place where you can pray. Carve it out of your schedule. You say, well, I've got, I've got really young kids and, I, and they wake up really early. Wake up earlier. Wake up even earlier. Or stay up later. Or take your lunch break and get in your car and go somewhere by yourself. Whatever it takes. Listen, I'm just trying to plead with you, Euodia and Syntyche. Listen, not just about division, but please recognize. If, you, if you've never experienced this, then you don't know what you're missing. But I can tell you from personal experience, when fear, worry, and anxiety start to take over my heart, and I make the, the, the greater effort of getting alone with the Lord in prayer, I come out of that prayer closet with such peace and it doesn't even make sense because it's not like necessarily the situation is gone or resolved but it's god's peace that just comes over you in the midst of that situation it is a wonderful irreplaceable thing so pray and you say well you know what's the posture to pray how how long should i pray was it just pray in fact i'll read you this little this cute little thing that i read years ago this is, this is called an informal prayer, the prayer of Cyril Brown. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Johnny Keyes, the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. Nay, I should say, the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms, with rapt and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Hunt. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyril Brown. With both my heels a-stickin' up, my head a-pointin' down. And I done prayed right there and then, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standin' on me head. (laughs) So see, you don't have to worry about what posture, when, where, just pray, because God will hear your prayers and He will visit you with His peace that passes all understanding to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praised, is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he, he moves on here to talk about his thought life and he challenges us here with eight Terms, and I encourage you to highlight them or underline them in your Bibles. We should think thoughts that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Those are the words that Paul uses. It's in the NAV translation. Some of your other translations will use different words there. But he's basically saying you, you need to have a good thought life. You need to be thinking uh, things that are true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Okay, look, you know how easy it is to just, especially in relationships, to think critically, 
to think negatively, to think suspiciously, to, to not give benefit of the doubt, to, to, to think unkindly, to think hypocritically, to think... You, know, you, you can use a variety of words to describe the normal, natural... I don't say normal is a good thing, but the natural inclination of the human heart is to think that way. To think critically, negatively, complaining, to just think, you know, always the worst instead of the best, thinking, you know, all those different ways that our minds can think. So this is an important exercise in the discipline of taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. We have to stop some of our stinking thinking. We have to stop some of our stinking thinking and start, especially as it relates, because he's talking about, this is a challenge to the church. He's talking about, you need to think as you relate to each other in ways that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. We need to guard our thought life. We need to be people who think in a right and a proper way. I had years ago, I had a lady come to me who had read this verse and she said, the Lord convicted me that I in the way I relate to my husband, think so negatively and so critically. She asked me to pray with her. She said, for one week, I'm going to exercise this verse and see if it can become a life pattern for me. I'm going to relate to my husband in a way where I think noble thoughts about him. I think true thoughts about him. I think lovely thoughts about him. I think things that I want to thank God, praiseworthy thoughts about him. And, and so I prayed with her. She came back after a week. She says, oh, pastor, it was harder than I thought. <laughs> oh, man, the Lord really tested me in all this. But, you know, she said it became one of the most freeing things for me. And she said it did wonders in our relationship. And she said, pray now that this just stays a pattern for me. And that challenged me. Because I think if all of us are honest, we need, we need to work on our thought life as it relates to the way that we think of others, especially the ones that we love. So think on these things. Think about such things. He goes on, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So now he moves on to this last section here, which is the way of life. And he's going to tell us three important things that he has learned uh, about how to live life. The, the first one is, in, 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 in a word, serenity. And he says there in verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, I like, I like the words, I have learned, okay? Because it doesn't necessarily come to us naturally. We're not naturally content people. We are naturally, in our, in our flesh, we're naturally discontent people. Nothing's ever good enough. I love America and I love the free enterprise system, but if there's one thing we have to guard our hearts about living in the most wonderful world in a great free enterprise capitalist society is we have to guard against our hearts that we are constantly discontent. Nothing's ever enough. I never have enough. I always look at what the Joneses have, you know, all that kind of nonsense, those games we play. And then even after we get this, we have to have the next latest and greatest. We are never content. We have to guard our hearts against this. Paul says, I have learned, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He goes on to define it a little bit. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I've I've been there, been, been without, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've been there too. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Okay? So you can have nothing and then have covetousness because you want more, and you can have a lot and think that that's never enough. So, so covetousness cuts all echelons of life and culture because in the human heart, the tendency is to be discontent. And, and God calls us to be content, to learn to be content in whatever situation, whatever circumstances we're in. And Paul says, this is one of the aspects of life that I've learned. I've just learned this. I've learned to be content. God, help us to be content people and forgive us when we are discontent. Because discontentment ultimately means we're blaming God for what we don't have. We're always discontent because we don't, whatever we have in whatever situation we're in, we're not happy. And that actually is a reflection on where God has us and, and what God has supplied for us. So we have to be very careful with this. So he says, in terms of serenity, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Then he adds there in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So that's the second thing on a way of life. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. So he recognizes that in himself, he's weak, but in the Lord, God's going to help me to be able to do everything I need to do through him. He's going to give me the strength. When I am weak, then I am strong because his strength is made evident in my weakness, right? And he says in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. He says in verse 18, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So this verse tells us that the church at Philippi didn't forget about Paul and that even though he planted this church 10 years previously, they're sending their financial contributions to help support him and support his ministry. And so he's thanking them for that. He's like, I I just want to thank you that I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. You know, sincerely, I really believe that when we give through the local church for the work of the kingdom, that in our offerings, in our tithes and offerings, it actually is, is like a sweet aroma to the Lord. That's what he's, he's comparing it in Old Testament sacrificial sense to the, to the aromatic sacrifices that went up to the Lord. That in our giving, it actually pleases God as an aroma unto him, a sacrifice pleasing to God. And then he adds verse 19, very familiar verse to many of us, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So Paul talks here about serenity. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He talks about strength. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. And lastly, he talks about supply. He says, I am amply supplied. God has been good to me. And he says, as a reminder, he says, I just want you to know that God's going to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Not, not necessarily all your greeds, but all your needs. This is not a get-rich-quick verse. This is just simply a verse to remind ourselves that God will always take care of us. Materially speaking, God will always take care of us. And His children will never be left begging for bread. Not just materially, but in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically. God will meet all our needs 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he adds his final greetings here. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that the mantra of your heart? Are you relying on Christ to be your strength when you can't carry on? The Apostle Paul knew that the only way to get through the inevitable trials of life was to lean on Jesus, and he encourages you to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in to study the book of Philippians with us here on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share next time. But for now, we'd like to know more about you. Would you give us a call and let us know how you discovered Cornerstone Connection or what it's meant to you? Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd like to be praying for you as well, so please let us know how we can do that. The number again, 703-771-1500. Would you do something for us too? Would you pray for your fellow listeners to Cornerstone Connection? We know that the gospel message is powerful and can change lives, but we also are aware of the enemy's attempts to stop it from reaching the hurting. Please pray that the truth is received with each broadcast and that the hearts of others would be open. Thanks for praying, and thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know